Got your Bibles with you. Open up Second Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to take a look at uh, the last good king in uh, the land of Judah. And um, one of the things I've seen, I don't know how many of you, it's been a while, we've been in Chronicles for a while, but we're about to wrap it up. Um, next week we'll finish for sure if we don't finish tonight. So, and we'll be heading into Ezra and the time post-exile, the post-exilic history for Israel after all the prophets you know all the all the prophets majority of the prophets that we study working our way through the old testament are dealing with leading up to the exile the post exilic or the post exile israel are the guys who come back from babylon and try to get things going again rebuild a nation and the nation never really comes back to what it was with David or Solomon. Uh, it flounders under different rulers. It never really is set free or totally clean of um, um, the the Babylonians or the Medo-Persians or then the, the Greeks or then the Romans. It, it always ends up a vassal of someone all the way to the time of Christ. So the hope of Israel was all this history that we look at now. It was their zenith, the peak of, of who they were going to be, what, what their possibilities were until we come to Josiah. Anytime post-Manasseh, remember Manasseh, that was that bad king, 55 years, bad guy all the way through to the very end of his life, and then he repented and tried to undo all the stuff he did. But in the midst of trying to undo all that stuff he did, it was, it was a little late, you know. He, he could never turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. Even though his heart turned back to the Lord, he couldn't undo all the bad stuff he did. And then his son comes on the scene and, and is just as bad as him. But it's interesting because we come to the end of Manasseh's life and just before his son takes over, he had a grandson. I like to think that grandson hung out with grandpa. He's a young kid, eight years old, when he becomes king. But long enough to have had a few years in the beginning of his life of a grandpa who once upon a time had been a really bad person, but at the end of, of his life was a really good person, was following the Lord and living a life trying to Undo all the stuff he did. And it, I think, set the stage for Josiah. Josiah is the last good king of Israel. Last one. The rest of them are bad. And then Babylon. And that's it. Off and on, they'll, they'll have other kings. You guys are familiar with some of their names. In a few, in a, in a few years, you'll hear them, right? The Herods and the, and the Herod the Greats and the, the guys coming up up to the time of Christ, but this is the end. It's the downhill. It's the slide away from all the hope that Israel had once upon a time when they first came into the land. It's all wrapping up now. It's all wrapping up for them. One of the things I see is I look at all the kings and all the struggles and the good guys and the bad guys and, and the guys that started good but ended bad and the guys that started bad and ended good. One of the things that strikes me as I go through that is this simple understanding that we as mankind are all broke 
We are all broken. We may have various stages of being broken, but broke is broke. And I don't mean broke like we don't have any money in our pockets, although that may be part of the issue too. I mean broke like we don't function correctly. He did. You ate too. Um, (laughs) But the idea, guys, is that the brokenness is a state of the nature of man. And we try over and over and over again. We've talked about it a, a while back. Maybe you remember the fact that we try to legislate the nature of man. And you can't legislate man's nature. Man's nature is what it is. And if given the right circumstances, there's no end to the depth of evil man will do. And I mean every man. Every person is capable, apart from Christ, of doing horrific things to whomever. And I think in Josiah's time, he gets that. Josiah, a little eight-year-old. He gets the idea that man's broke. And he leads us, I think, to some interesting conclusions as we take a look at the revival, the last revival for Israel that takes place under Josiah. So let's take a look. We'll pick it up in, in chapter 34, and we'll see this young man. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His son, I think, is going to be 23 when he takes over. So Josiah doesn't have any kids for seven more years. Josiah was eight. Man. But look at verse 2. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I like that phrase. He didn't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. As we've been working our way through the book of Romans on on Sunday morning, I was reminded as I looked at this this phrase in Romans chapter 2, um, Paul speaking says this, uh, um, But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Patient continuance. Uh, To me, it's the same thing. He didn't turn to the left or to the right. He just stayed the course. He stayed the course. If you do a study sometime of the young people in the Bible, you are going to be astounded at how many 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds made decisions focused their their lives toward following the Lord and finished well. How many who wrote it out, made uh, made that that concept, that idea, I'm I'm following God and I'm done with all this other stuff. Daniel, a young teenager taken from his home, put into a foreign place, given all kind of freedom to do whatever he wanted to do in the palace. But said, I don't want to hang out and do the things that the king's people can do. 
I'm still going to follow God. I'm still going to follow the dietary laws. I'm still going to follow the, the prayer guidelines, even though there's no temple, even though there's no sacrifice. As a teenager, that was his heart. Because he has the reality of a relationship with God. One of uh, two characters in the Bible that are called beloved of God. And so as we, as we see that concept, when I look at Josiah saying he didn't turn to the right and he didn't turn to the left, he's eight. And he's able to make that choice. So if an eight-year-old can do it, we're a plum out of excuses. It goes on and tells us that, that in the eighth year of his reign, so he started when he was eight years old, how old is he now? Sixteen. Sixteen-year-old king. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God, to seek the God of his father, David. When he's 16, so for eight years, you know, he's ruling the reign. I don't think too much has happened in the first eight years, okay, you know. Eight-year-old king, he's still got to grow up a little bit. By the time he's 16, so eight years have, have passed, and he starts seeking God. He starts going after God. His dad was an evil man, and his grandpa was the worst of all the kings, except for the final last part of his life. So he had this legacy of disobeying God. He had this legacy of doing all the wrong things. See, the Bible teaches us that what's broke in man is what theologians call sin nature. We are born in rebellion to God, and given to our own natural choices, we will choose to continue to rebel against God. Our choices will be to rebel against God continually by the things that we do. And so when someone... (laughs) decides to seek after God, I want you to understand, it's not, Josiah didn't just make a choice. He didn't just make a choice. The Bible's pretty clear. Holy Spirit's got to draw. Holy Spirit's got to call. Holy Spirit reached out, just like the Lord says in Romans 9, 10, 11. All day long, I reach out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, he's talking about Israel, but I think we fit the bill. All day long I reach out. Josiah is reaching back. The draw, the call from the Lord goes out. The Bible tells in Matthew that uh, when those who were supposed to come to the wedding feast rejected the response, saying, I'm too busy, I got a new wife, I got new property, I got more important things to do, I can't be bothered with coming to your wedding feast, that... They went out, the invitations went out to the highways and the byways, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house. They went everywhere to whosoever will. So whosoever will, heed the voice of God. To that one, God gives more revelation and more revelation and more revelation. And that person, whether he's 8, 16, or 50, or 90... If he will receive the revelation that God's giving, God gives more. You get what I'm saying? 
If he rejects the revelation of God, and then he, you wonder why he can't ever make a change or, or, or his life never moves forward. Because God said, look, I have shown you this. This is a problem between you and I. This, whatever this thing is that God's showing you. Whatever issue in your life, whatever sin. You can make all the excuses you want to for it. If you reject the revelation of God, that's as far as you're ever going to go. That's it. It's like banging your head against a wall, right? Anytime I have recognized, and there's been many of them, that I feel like I'm not progressing in the faith, I'm not growing like I should be growing, I'm not hearing from the Lord like I should be hearing from the Lord. It's never been God who did something. It's me. And always it has been God saying, you know, Jackie, this got to go. And me saying, no, I like that. God just says, okay, we'll just stay here. But we can't keep going until this is done. If I receive the revelation of God, you know, God, you're right. You're right. And... And I let go of whatever that thing is, the weight or the sin that so easily ensnares you. Right now what the Bible talks about, let us run the race with endurance. That's our life. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a long race. So the idea is we don't want to be carrying extra weight. And we don't want to be trying to pull sin along with us. So we've got to lay those things aside. And it, what God does is as we lay those things aside, He calls for more. When Josiah decides, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to... Go after the Lord. What he's saying is not, I'm going to go look to see where God is. What he's saying is, I'm going to start to obey what God's asking me to obey. I'm just going to start doing what he asked me. At 16. It gives me hope. I don't have any 16 year olds anymore. <laughs> but still gives me hope. When I see the, the youth of the day. The young people of the day. That God... Is able. So he makes his choice to seek after the God of his father David. Look, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, wooden images, carved images, and molded images. So four years, from 16 to 20. So 16, he decides, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the things. Now, we're going to see in a moment, he doesn't really know what to do because he don't have the Bible yet. They lost it. So the Bible has not, the scrolls of the Word of God, nobody's read them, nobody's seen them, for somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 plus years. That's a long time. So he's going by memory, you know, the things he remembers that Grandpa showed him. And so he's making those adjustments. At the time he's 20, he realizes, I remember Grandpa tore down all these idols, the high places. He tore down the wooden images. Now, every one of those things, every one of these things is symbolic for us today. Look, the high places, anything high and lifted up against the Lord, anything. High places, sometimes high places are beautiful. Sometimes they're amazing and sometimes they're exactly what stops us from progressing with the Lord. And God says, bring every high thing low. There's only room for one high thing in your life. God Almighty, that's it. So, so Josiah, 
20 years old now, he, he starts to bring down the high place. The wooden images. Folks, anytime your Bible talks about wooden images um, and the carved images, it's talking about sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality. That's what the wooden images were. They were put around various places around the land, and that's where people would go to, to if they were looking for um, a, a prostitute, male or female, who was worshiping their God in sexual practices. So that's where you'd go if you wanted that. The wooden images. They still have them. Third world countries, they're still around. You do some traveling, you'll run into them. The wooden images. So, he is tearing all those things down, okay? So he's tearing down that concept of sexual immorality. He's tearing down anything high and lifted up against the Lord. And he's breaking down all his idols. The idols for them were anything that come between them and God. What did God say in his law? You shall have no graven images before me, right? How many images is no? So that means there shouldn't be anything, right? Shouldn't be nothing. I must have had a motorcycle before God once. He mashed it with a truck. So I don't have that idol no more. But we find ourselves having different... We don't look at them as gods. You get what I'm saying? But they come between us and the Lord. It takes our time. It robs our desire, our love. You remember, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if all my love is poured into X, then God would say to me the same thing He said to Abraham. Abraham, take your son, the one that thou lovest, and you take him to a mountain that I'll show you. And you kill him. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham is reckoning his son dead from the moment God made that request. His son was still alive, but in Abraham's mind, he's gone. That's why God stopped him when he's bringing down the knife to sacrifice his son. The Lord stopped him. Now I know. Really, God knew all along. What he's saying is, now Abraham, you know that your son is not before me. You love me. Even more than your child. What did Jesus say? If anyone's going to come follow me, he has to forsake all. What is associated with all? Okay. So is there something I, I shouldn't forsake? If there's something in my life, something in my mind, right now I wouldn't forsake for God. That's my idol. And I can't move forward without laying it down before the Lord. He's not calling any of us, like He called Abraham, to put our children on an altar. He only did that one time. But He is telling us, that to have the, our priorities in the right place in life, if God's not on the top, then our priorities are wrong. We're broke. We naturally won't put God on top. We'll put anything else on top. 
Some people put alcohol, some people put drugs, some people put family, some people put good things on top. It's good stuff. But good stuff can still be a weight. Good stuff can still be idolatry. Good stuff can still be the things that's pulling us away. Josiah tears it down when he's 20. He pulls it down. Starts doing what grandpa did. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars which were above them, he cut them down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images, he broke into pieces, made dust of them and scattered it on the, on the graves of those who had sacrificed to him. There's one thing a, a, a Jew does not like to do is go walking through a graveyard. It makes you ceremonially unclean. So he took all the busted up idols and he sprinkled it in a graveyard. So people would be less inclined to go dig up the ashes or find the pieces. He sprinkled it in the grave. This is all done and it's it's over. But look at verse 5. It says, He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Now, he actually is going to kill the priests. And he burns them on the altars they were sacrificing on. All the way to the bones. Burned them. You know what's interesting about that? If you just hold your finger here, we're going to back up in time 300 years. So turn to the left 300 years back, which will get you to 1 Kings chapter 13. First Kings chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. This is a false altar he had built. Then he cried out against the altar. This is the prophet talking to the altar. Built by Jeroboam to worship false gods at the very beginning of the division of the kingdom 300 years ago. He cries out to the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, will be born to the house of David. And on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Three hundred years before Josiah is born, It's not in Second Chronicles. That's in First Kings, written long before Josiah's time. So the Lord said, He will give you the sign the same day. This is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar will split apart and the ashes will be poured out. So Jeroboam, the altar he's there worshiping at, splits apart. The ashes come out so that he'll know what God said is true. 300 years later, Josiah came and burned the priest's bones on those altars. Fulfillment of the prophecy that God said. He is cleaning house in Judah. But look at verse 6. 
And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around, with axes or with swords. He extended the control of the southern kingdom, which was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, north. These are all kingdoms in the north who have been conquered. And the 150 years uh, earlier, they've been conquered. They're in Assyria. They're, they're done for, but there's still a remnant left behind. So he goes to Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, which is actually surrounded by Judah, and Naphtali, and all around north, the northern kingdom, and he purges it too. Hezekiah did that too. Hezekiah and Josiah led the two greatest revivals in the nation because they made choices not to recognize that they were somehow better than anyone else, but to say there's not going to be any more of this. They cut it out. They removed it. They pulled it down. Verse 7, And when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images and had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altar throughout all the land of Israel... He returned to Jerusalem. He started that when he was 20. See the next phrase? In the 18th year, now he's 26. So you see a life continuing, not going to the left, not going to the right, patient continuance, walking the road that God's calling him to walk. He pulls down the idols. He takes down the wooden images. He takes down the idols in his life. He purges the land in the south. He goes to the north, purges the land in the north, comes back to Jerusalem, and sets his eyes on the temple. Going to fix it again. Last person who fixed it was Hezekiah. <clears throat> so he's looking back, and he's... It is going to, to do the work in the temple now. So it says in verse 8, In the 18th year of the reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, so he cleans it out, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, son of Je- uh, Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So they're going to begin the temple repairs. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites had kept um, the doors and had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Israel. So there's an effort nationwide, not just south, nationwide there's an offering that, that comes forward to repair the temple. Northern parts, same thing happened at Hezekiah's time. Northern parts as well as the southern parts. And they, it says in verse 10, they put it in the hand of the foreman who had oversight of the house of the Lord and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and the floor of the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. So they wiped it out. You know, every bad king, when he needed money, you know where he'd go get it. When Solomon built that temple, he inlaid a lot of things with gold, right? So if you needed gold, well, just go to the house of God and take it. Just scrape it down off the walls. 
Just take it out of, of, of the things that, that God's house was set aside for and the, 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 the glory that had belonged to the Lord. So they would give and take it back. Give and take it back. A good king would come along and put it all back and then a bad king would come and take it all out. So here we got Josiah fixing it. He got to fix the floors. He's got to fix the walls. He's got to fix the doors. He's got hewn stone. If you've seen the pictures of the temple, it was all hewn stone. What do they need hewn stone for? But it had to tore something apart, right? I imagine if you're trying to get at the gold someplace, sooner or later it's going to do some damage to the hewn stone that was there supporting it all. Well, they rebuild it. They put it back together. Look, he, he's got the craftsmen and the craftsmen are working. I love this part. And verse 12, and the men did the work faithfully. And their oversires were Johath and Obadiah the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam the sons of the Kohathites to supervise. Listen, others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did any work in any kind of service. They had all the, the worship team over all the burden bearers. You know, like the guys who are hauling the hewn stone from the quarry over to the temple. I mean, I just, I don't know. I like to see it as they're out there. You know, I don't really know what else. I'm, they're not out there with whips. They're the worship team. But they're out there with instruments. They're praising God. They're lightening the load, if you will, of those who are... <clears throat> Doing the heavy work. Lightening the load of the burden bearers and the guys who are serving there. They're there worshiping God. And celebrating the work of those guys. And so, and and some of the Levites who were scribes. They're the guys who were supposed to copy the Bible, which they haven't seen for a while. They're going to have, yeah, they're going to have another job here in a minute. And officers and gatekeepers. And now... When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now, probably we're talking about the Pentateuch. I'm not sure that it was just Deuteronomy, although a lot of the things they talk about are out of the book of Deuteronomy, and that's one of the books that Jesus quoted more than any other Old Testament book. And probably not one that we've read all that much, but apparently Jesus thought it was important enough to quote from it over and over and over again. Remember the, the amount of temptation when Jesus was tempted three times by the devil? You know what he quoted from, right? Deuteronomy. It was important to him. Overcoming temptation. Interesting, yeah? Well, they found the law. So Hilkiah answered and said to, to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They're all, they're all shocked. We found the Bible. It's not like it is now. We all have one in our hands. It wasn't that way then. Nobody cared. Josiah didn't even know anything about what was in the law. He's about to. So... Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, 
all that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it in the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. I like that too. He didn't just come over and hand it to the king and say, hey, you might want to look at this. He sat down and read it. He read it to him. The law. If it's the Pentateuch, certainly later on we're going to see where they are definitely talking about the Pentateuch. It's possible it's just Deuteronomy that they're reading to him, but whatever it is, that's what they're, that's what they're reading to a king who doesn't know anything. Hasn't thought all that much about the Bible. Sometimes we get this crazy idea that when Jesus came, that that meant the Old Testament didn't matter no more. But that's exactly what Paul taught. Every church he ever planted was planted on the Old Testament. He was writing the New Testament in the process. It's still... God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. God didn't get saved in the Old Testament, and so everything changed. God's desire for his people is still the same. He still wants us to love him. That's what he asked for in the Old Testament. Love me. All your heart. Everything... That is within you. So they read the law to him. Does it happen when the king heard the words of the law? He tore his clothes. The king sitting in his royal robe. Now he's, you know, in his mid twenties. Maybe closer to 30. Sitting there with his royal splendor. And the, the scribe comes in and says, I, I'm going to read to you the law. And he's reading them to, to him the law. And when he hears the law, the law doesn't give him the power to be a new man. The law doesn't give him the power to, to somehow overcome all of his frailties. What the law does is show him he's broke. And he tears his robes. Not too many kings did that. Tore his robe. Said, I'm I'm guilty. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, all you people out there, look what you messed everything up for me, man. Ever since I've been here, I've been trying to make it all right. No, that's not what he did. He tore his robe and said, I'm broken. The reason why Josiah's revival happened and Hezekiah's revival happened and the revivals throughout the Bible that take place It happens because God's people read His Word and are broken. They say, that's me. Apart from Christ, I got nothing to boast in. I am that guy. You guys remember that shooting in Connecticut, all those little kids got shot? horrible thing Adam Lanza I think was a kid's name 
few days later, story come out in the paper. I don't know how many of you guys saw it or not, but a woman had written into an editorial that she's a mom asking for help because she's raising Adam Lanza. I don't know help for her. She's recognizing her child is some of those same tendencies. This last week, the father of Adam, he, I'm assuming it must be close to an anniversary or something. I don't know why they talked to him, but somebody, they talked to him, was in a paper and they were, he was saying he wishes Adam had never been born. He is pure evil. What his dad said. I don't don't think dad's wrong. Except built around that kind of talk is the idea that those people are broken, but we're not. Built around those kind of sayings is that person is evil, but I'm not. That something happened in that guy's past. Somebody did something to him. He was born with something. Something's messed up in his brain. But not mine. It's him. It's him. Look in the paper. You can, you spend any time searching. You know how many, I mean, that was a horrific event that took place. It is evil. People get mad at me all the time because I say you and I are capable of that. Oh. You're not recognizing the depravity of the human soul when you say, oh, it could never be me. We deny the depravity that is in mankind. What, what stops our depravity? Only one thing. A, a relationship with a living God who then imputes to you and I righteousness that we don't make on our own. So if we're going to experience a revival, we got to stop thinking that all the evil in the world is those people out there and realize that garbage is in my heart. Now, I may not express it like he did. But that Jesus over and over again said, just because you didn't express it don't mean you're not guilty. Do you know that Jesus said that? He says, you think I give you a pass because you didn't do it? He said, behold, if you looked at a woman and had a lustful thought in your mind, he said, you're guilty to me. Whether you did it or not, it's in your heart. He said, if you had anger at your brother, you're guilty of murder in your heart. I remember when JC was a baby. Gosh, I'm a baby, so I shouldn't have had any business having babies, but I did. Uh, I don't know how old I am. JC's little. Uh, um, two or three, maybe. And he's doing what babies do. They cry. And they, and you don't always know what they want, you know, and, and I'm a 
young dad. And I remember being so filled with rage because I couldn't get him to calm down. I could have killed my son. I could have shook him. Do you know it only takes two seconds to kill him when you shake him? So you don't mean to say you couldn't lose control for two seconds, right? You're not going to tell me that. And it's by the grace of God. I remember holding him when he was little and, and yelling, yelling almost as loud as he's yelling. He won't get, he won't be quiet. And for whatever reason, rather than shaking and yelling, I didn't, I didn't want to kill him, but I'm mad. You guys get what I'm saying? I'm mad. And I remember dropping him on the bed. Now, the bed was a big, fluffy bed. He was going to be fine. Dropping him on the bed and walking away and realizing my my brain going and thinking, I got to calm down. And you you realize how close that is to, to murder? But we say, I would never do that. That, Do me a favor. If we're ever doing counseling and I share a story with you and you say something like, I would never do that, don't. If you're going to do that, don't come into my office. It's all going to go south from I would never do that. I got no patience for the I'll never do that bit. Because... If we're honest with our own hearts, right set of circumstances, and we are just as bad as just about everybody else on the face of the earth. And God said, I know your heart. So that day, looking at my heart, I remember being a kid, uh, I don't know, 10 years old, playing baseball. And... I can't, still today, if I wasn't married, I wouldn't know where anything is. Because I have to ask my wife. She, she tries to remind me that the uterus is not a tracking device. But that's how I choose to use it these days. So, so I'll tell her, babe, where's the, where's the, where's my keys? Or where's my wallet? Or where's my this or that? Oh, maybe none of you have experienced that. So, in that case, I'm sorry. But, <clears throat> when I was a kid, 10 years old, I couldn't find my glove. And I'm mad. I'm mad. I've had a, trouble with anger so so i'm i'm 10 years old but i'm mad i'm really mad mom where's my glove can't find my glove a game starts in like 10 minutes and you guys maybe have had these kind of things happen in your home somebody's running around you know and i can't find it i'm getting madder every time i'm looking a little further and looking a little further and looking a little further and i was angry and i was mad and i and i couldn't understand why god wouldn't just tell me where my glove was because i believed in god and god exists and so god i can't find my glove and i'm asking for some help and i need need a little bit of help here and and i'm not getting any help i'm not hearing any voices or anything and i I remember hitting my bed and in my mind thinking that I wish my bed was God so I could hit him. So what's the difference from me or the guys with the whips? There's no difference. I could have been one of those guys. What's the difference between me and the guy hammering a nail? We gotta stop. 
with the, you know, somehow I'm, I don't have the same disease every other man has. We are broken. And God's word told Josiah he was broke. He didn't go, they're broke, and that's, that guy's broke, and, and then them homosexual guys over there, they're broke, and, and those people who are going to the bar, they're broke, but I, you know, I'm okay. Well, Josiah tore his clothes. It's a humility. Same before God, just like I just tore my clothes are broke, I'm broke. My heart breaks over the evil that I'm capable of. And I think the sooner... (laughs) When I stopped making excuses for that and just started recognizing I'm broke and I need God, that's when everything changed. When I spend all my time pointing at other people, I just ignore my need. I'm broke. Something wrong... And I need God. So listen, the king tears his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord. Literally, it says, Go seek Yahweh. Man, I'm broke. I'm broke. I read this book. I'm broke. Somebody needs to go find. We need a, We need to hear from God. Somebody go find a prophet. Somebody go find a prophet. So they they said, inquire to the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah. Now, there's not that many prophets running around. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word. He knew, he said, we have not walked with God for a long time. There's a lot of things in here that God's been telling us to do. And I, for one, know it's never happened in my lifetime. And it didn't, wasn't happening in grandpa's lifetime. That goes back another 60 years. Well, we are in trouble. He says the wrath of God, the judgment of God abides on us. The fact that we're guilty. Just like we've been talking about in Romans. Josiah says we're guilty. The only reason we're not destroyed is because God's having mercy on us right now. We better find out what's going on. That was his heart. That's, that's why he wants to inquire the Lord. So Hilkiah and those of the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom. Went to a prophetess. They had to go find a woman to set them straight, right? (laughs) Well, they had to go to a woman. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When revival is needed... In the house of God. And when God's people aren't doing the things God wants to do. Somewhere there is a woman praying and seeking the Lord. Because a woman's heart is more tuned to spiritual things. So when there's not a prophet they could find, they could find a prophetess. What are you talking about, Jackie? I'll tell you. Walk through Sunday school and tell me who's teaching. There's a bunch of ladies. 
with the exception of Sunday uh, morning, uh, 9 o'clock service, which is Jason. I don't think there's any other guys doing anything. He went to hear from a word from the Lord. And he found a prophetess who could say, here's, here's what God says. Listen, so they find her. Listen, they found her in the second quarter. They, still today, Jerusalem is divided into quarters. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Still today, they got the, the Jewish quarter and the Arab quarter and the Muslim quarter and the Catholic quarter or Christian quarter. And, they, and, they, and, and sometimes I think they have more quarters than they have room for quarters because quarters means like a fourth, I think. But, but that's what they call it all, you know. So, so the same way, she was in the second quarter and they spoke to her and she answered them. And this, this is what she said. The Lord God of Israel... Tell the man who sent you to me. So she says, here's what God says. You go tell the king. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah. I will. So he says, I'm not stopping it. Judgment is coming. Now, it's not different for us today. Just because judgment hasn't come does not mean judgment isn't coming. Are you with me? God said, I will judge sin. Sin will be judged. All of it. Every man's will be judged. It will either be judged on the back of Christ on the cross or on my head. But it will get judged. And a price will be paid. So... So she says, look, the judgment's going to come. Why? Because they have one forsaken me. That's the opposite of love me, right? Have, have we ever been forsaken? So if you've been forsaken, you know that's the opposite of love. Love doesn't forsake you. Jesus said, I will how many times forsake you? I will never forsake you. That's perfect love, Right? So they forsook God. That's the first problem. They burned incense or worshipped other gods, right? They burned incense to other gods. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook Him. They didn't love Him. They worshipped other gods and they provoked God to anger with all the works of their hands. What were the works of their hands? They killed their children. They hated each other. They killed one another. You read Genesis. You get to Genesis 1. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, God wants to destroy the earth. Six chapters. And two of them, three of them really, deal with creation and the fall of man. So that means three chapters from mankind living on earth till God wants to destroy them. Because that's, man's broke. He's broke. He's guilty. He messed up. Therefore, God says, my wrath will be poured out on this place and and not be quenched. Really, even though God's going to judge the people, and we're going to see it in the next couple of chapters, um, it's not over. You cannot just have like a, a, a few bad years and be even with God. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. So if God himself, in paying for our sin, had to be crucified before the foundation of the earth, that that speaks to back in eternity, 
the concept somehow. I don't know how that all that works. But the, the, the price that he paid was not on that cross for a few hours and three days in the ground. That wasn't it. It's bigger than that. Before the foundation of the earth. Big deal. A few bad days. You don't even the scale with God. You can't. I can't. He says, my judgment won't be quenched. Huh? Uh, I think twofold. One, I'm going to bring it. It's not going to stop. But two, it's not going to be filled. You ever read the book of Revelation? There's more judgment coming, right? So, but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you will speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. Josiah wasn't perfect. His heart was soft toward what God wanted to tell him. It was seen in the tearing of his clothes and the enunciation, the pronunciation that I am broken. You know, God never healed anyone who didn't admit he needed healing. In fact, he came to a man who was laying outside the pools of Bethesda or Bethsaida. I get that backwards all the time. He came to a man laying outside the pools of Bethsaida and said, Do you want to be well? You know, some people don't want to be better, right? If you don't realize that, I'll set you up with some some counseling. and You can talk to people who don't want to be better. Some people don't want to be well. Josiah said, I'm broke. His heart was tender toward God, toward what God's word said. He... He didn't have the power to be different. You know, he could just be what he was. But he had the knowledge that I'm not what I need to be. So his heart was tender. And then second, he humbled himself before God. He humbled himself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants. When when Josiah heard the word of God, he humbled himself. God, you're right. I'm wrong. There's a whole lot of people today who hear the words of this book and say it's archaic, it's dumb, it doesn't make sense, and it needs to be redone. In fact, there's a new Bible out, what is it, the 2012 NIV that is gender neutral. And they change all the things people don't like. Not because it's not there, but it makes it more PC. You take the Bible and make it PC, you might as well burn it. It's worthless. Well, he heard the word, humbled himself before God. He said, you humbled yourself before me. You tore your clothes and wept before me. And I also have heard you. God said, I heard him. I heard him in his brokenness. Not in his excuses. In his brokenness. Broken before God. Weeping before God. I'm guilty. God hears that. Jesus, when he described two prayers, right? He said, a Pharisee came and he prayed and said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that guy over there, that tax collector. And I'm not a woman and I'm not a Gentile, but I'm a Pharisee. And thanks for making me a Pharisee. And you and I, we're cool. That's Jackie paraphrase. The tax collector came before God, couldn't even hardly speak, just beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm broken. Jesus said, that man went away, listen to the word, justified. 
That means made right. Wow. That's what the prayer God hears. Josiah wept before God. I'm broke, man. I'm broken. I, I don't, he didn't have excuses. Well, my, you know, my grandpa was a bad guy, and 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 my dad was a, and my grandpa used to murder his kids, you know, and and and, and my dad, he was not any better. He didn't have excuses. He said, "I'm broke." Me. God said, "I heard you. Surely, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see the calamity that I will bring on this place." And its inhabitants. So they went back and told the king. God says he's going to judge a nation. Josiah. But he's not going to do it. During your lifetime. So Josiah stopped. Right. Well good. I'm good. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people. All means how many? All the people, great and small. That's another way of saying all the people. And he, the king, read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. That phrase, book of the covenant, is only in the Bible three times. Always refers to the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, the ones we read the least. He read it. The law. He read it before the people, says, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. He makes a covenant promise to God. God, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to, I, I want to, what did Deuteronomy say? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 tells us to love the Lord our God with not most, not a part, not a portion, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here Josiah is saying, you got all of me. Now, I, I had a, a situation like this. I had been diagnosed with HIV. My marriage was falling apart. My wife was pregnant. We weren't sure the baby's going to live. Uh, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in the Marine Corps. Everything in my life was a giant pile of ash. I still remember. I still remember looking at God and saying, Okay, <laughs> you can have it all. But I didn't feel like there was all that much left. Huh. That was one time in my life where I actually had it right. So often we think we got so much to give him. So much stuff. So much money. God's not broke. He's fine. So much time. So much abilities. That day when I looked at God, I actually said, I'm nothing Nothing. You ever tried to put a log back together out of a fireplace? That's what my life looked like. When they 
talk about people who were in mourning in those days. They'd say they were in sackcloth and ashes. Well, I finally understood what that was all about. You see, when, when you realize what your life is and you grab an armful of ashes and you lift it up and dump it over your head, all you're saying is, this is what I am. I don't have anything to give you. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to, to make the scales even. Just the truth. I'm broke. That's what God hears. So Josiah stands before all the people and he reads them the law and he says, he says, let me show you guys. Cause, cause I, you gotta make your own choice. But Josiah did what Joshua did before him. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me, and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That's powerful when it comes from your king. Man, Josiah, he, he stood before all the people and pledged his heart to God. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. I like that it says that. You get what that means? When that day was over, everybody picked a side. They may not all picked his side, but they were on a side. Not to make a choice is a choice. You get what I'm saying? So he made them all. When it's over, hey, when you guys want... Look, when the Word of God is presented to God's people, God's people always have a choice what they're going to do with it. So everybody took a stand. On one side... Or on the other. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. And made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. You get what Josiah said? Look, you can choose to do whatever you want to do. But as long as you're living in my house, this is what we do. That's what he told the nation. There's vacancies up north. That whole nation's been conquered. There are probably homes you can move into. But you're going to live down here. This is what we're going to do. So get with it or get out. That's a pretty good model for family life. I had that talk with my kid. I had that talk with mine. My oldest son, he got married when he's 19 and moved out. He was in a hurry. <laughs> he's, he's living the dream right now. Wife, two kids, mortgage. You know the, you know the dream. You guys, some of you have it too. He's living the dream. He got started quick. Cole and me, we bumped heads a few times. I sat down in the living room with Cole and said, look, brother, this is how it works. This is who your dad is, and this is what we're doing. If you're with me, let's go. You know, when you do that, they get to make a choice, right? That's why the Bible tells them not to ever stop praying. God said, man ought always to pray and never lose heart. 
Paul's doing okay. He's doing all right. He'd do better. I could do better. Any of you could do any better? So, so we're all part of a journey, right? But I think it's important that that kind of leadership was there. The leadership said, the leadership of the nation said, look, this is about God. I never asked my kids where they wanted to go to school. I didn't ask them. I told them. You're going to Christian school. And you know what? My kids never balked. How come your kids didn't balk? Because they knew. I don't really care whether you have another opinion. You're going there. You're studying the Bible every day. There's no guarantee that they go to Christian school and they're going to be Christian. You know that, right? No guarantee. I make my kids come to church every day. But there's a guarantee if I let them stay at home and watch TV, they're not hearing the word. And I'm supposed to train up my children in the way that they're supposed to go. That's my job. By the way, that's not Kathy's job. That's my job. God said, that's your job. Man, do your job. And so I like that the king did that. It says, all his days they did not depart following the Lord God of their father. So the whole nation, as long as dad was there, being the example. The king's there being the example. They all did it. But they can't legislate a change in the nature of men. As soon as Josiah is gone, the people are going right back. You get it? But God didn't say, Josiah, it's not going to work, so just let the people do what they want. God didn't tell them that. God said, Josiah, you show them. Listen, every one of those people, I'm done. Every one of those people who lived during Josiah's reign in Revelation chapter 20, are going to be resurrected. The Bible says there's a resurrection to life, and there's a resurrection unto death. The resurrection unto life began at the resurrection of Christ, and it will be culminated at the the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. We can argue about eschatology, but just kind of get the idea. There is a resurrection occurring. For us now, we die now, we're present with the Lord. That's not the same thing as the resurrection. We're with God, but we haven't been resurrected. You with me? When Jesus returns, there will be the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. When he sets up his kingdom, we're going to have the wedding supper of the Lamb. And, and all the Old Testament saints will sit down with us. And the Old Testament saints aren't resurrected until Christ puts his feet on the earth. So that's why I say the, the wedding supper of the Lamb is going to happen at that point. So the resurrection of those resurrected to life will occur at that moment. That's it. At the end of the kingdom age... There's another big battle, right? Thousand years, Jesus rules for perfect peace. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loose for a season. A a multitude rises up against the Lord. Boom! There's no more heaven, no more earth. Great white throne stands before everybody. And all the sea and all of Hades, that's the word for hell, uh, the grave, empty. And everybody stands before the living God. One man at a time. All those guys at the time of Josiah will stand before God and God will say, Josiah showed you every single day 
how you should walk and what you should do. And you made your choice. I know on that day, there will be people in that line I know. But I don't want the people in that line that I know for God to say, hey, I had to use somebody else to show them. I want to be like Josiah and model what God's asking of me to whoever is around. They make their choices, right? You guys with me? They make their choices, but we're supposed to model that. We're supposed to walk that walk. Be those people so that they have opportunity every day to see the truth. Isn't that a good thing? That's a good thing. That's what we want to be. Amen?